Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Rating Others podcast. And welcome back to me. I've been gone for a couple weeks, and a huge thank you to my producer, Bela Unger, for holding it down while I was away. I was away for a couple episodes because my wife and I recently became parents. And it's been a wild and beautiful ride. But I'm back, and I'm back with a really fun conversation with my friend, Ilya Schneves. Ilya is a great klezmer musician. I say klezmer musician because while his main instrument is the accordion, you can find him playing anything from small plucked string instruments or uh, synthesizers or bass or all sorts of things. And uh, you can find him on stages everywhere from New York to anywhere else in the world. This episode is kind of a return to form episode because it's just me and another person from our klezmer world just getting into it talking about where we came from and all the things we share and how nerdy we are about klezmer music and it's uh it's really great it's great to catch up with Ilya, and it's just great to get into all these little nooks and crannies of our lives and also all the time that we've spent together once again, I want to thank Bela Unger for holding it down and recording intros and taking care of everything for the last two episodes. The reason why I know I can count on Bela is because I compensate them for their work the best I can. And in order to do that more fully and sustainably, because I'll be honest, it's not sustainable right now, is through your help by donating to our Patreon which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash radiant others. So please go to there and sign up to be one of our members. We're going to be rolling out some really cool content exclusive for Patreon backers pretty soon. That's pretty much it. So let's get to my conversation with Ilya Schneves. All right, Ilya Schneves, welcome to the Rating Others podcast. Thank you. This is definitely going to be one of those conversations where people are like, oh, it's so cool when Dan, we get to listen to Dan meeting a new person and they kind of feel each other out and find out things about each other. But uh, that's not our story. We've been going back a little ways. I mean, I'm still finding out things about myself and you and everyone, so... That's true. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm hoping to learn a lot from this from this talk <laughs> for for the next time. You know, one question that I always feel like I can ask you, and you'll have a different answer every time, is where the heck are you in the world? Right. Yeah, it's been actually for for the past like three years uh, that that answer would probably have been Brooklyn for you know m- most most of the time, but in general it has been. Quite a variety of places, or rather, I don't know. It's it's been mostly between like a few different places with occasional stops at other places. But, and I think it's kind of nice and symbolic that I'm doing this from uh, our friend Alan Burns' studio in Berlin, Germany. And uh, shout out to Alan for letting me use his studio with fast internet and quiet neighbors. Hopefully, we'll see. Thank you. Alan. And uh, also shout out to. Uh, Craig Udelman, who lives just down the street from Alan, and who let me use his fancy large diaphragm condenser mic for this Thank interview. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Craig. 
Yeah, I've actually I stayed in that apartment when I was on my first ever trip to Europe, and I think I was what twenty two or something like that. That's it's a nice spot. It's it's a nice spot, and I think Ellen's been here for you know since the nineties, and um, yeah, it's it has been you know for many klezmer musicians. I think this was either their first stop in Berlin or like one of the places that they stayed. And for me, also, I don't know how many years ago, but I have. I have stayed here occasionally until I actually got my own place in Berlin for a while. Yeah, I remember that era. And the I and era. yeah, and I used to live. I used to so ten years ago. I used to live a five minute walk from here and one block where Craig and Sasha Luria live right now. So mm. that was that was the neighborhood, and it's, it still is the neighborhood. It's changed, but it also it is the neighborhood. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, what brings you to Berlin this time? Um, so I came, I, I'm here for three weeks and we just finished our, I, I, I call it semi-annual festival uh, because <laughs> it sometimes happens once a year. <laughs> so we, yeah. Um, uh, so we have this festival, it's called Städtel Berlin. Yeah. It used to be called Städtel Neukölln, which is Neukölln is this part of Berlin. But that was for for different reasons we changed it mostly because nobody could pronounce it really, and Stadel Berlin, you know, it still has it still has the similar vibe, even though sure. most of our events this year were actually in in Neukölln, basically walking distance from from where I am right now, which is and and it's that's kind of that would be ideal if we can continue like this just to have, then it really becomes a little Stadel. For those of you who don't know what Stadel is. Shtetl is a little Jewish town. A little Jewish town. I so I, I had it... to explain this uh, multiple times, but I'm sure our listeners here definitely know what a shtetl is. They probably do. I hope we're getting listeners that don't, because that means our reach is expanding. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 your own version of one of these like international or local like what it's it seems like it's sort of it's. It's got a it's got a more a little more of a local vibe at the moment. Although maybe that's been different in different years, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's so this is a I want to say a low budget version of some of the bigger festivals. That's okay. As, to say. And and I think as um, Christian David, who is uh, one of the co organizers of the festival, or um, we we have kind of a rotating team of organizers, but Christian is. Uh, has has been a part of it for uh, as long as we've been doing it, and he put it nicely um, when somebody asked, "So, what is this festival like?" He said, um, "Some festivals are like a, uh, um, say some 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 festivals are like a um, you know a full course meal and or like a fancy dinner, and this festival is like a potluck in the park." Yeah, in a sense, and that's um, that's kind of the vibe. So basically, the festival itself uh, grew out of klezmer sessions that we've been organizing for almost ten years here, also in Neukölln, which are called the Neukölln Klezmer Sessions. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's something that uh, I and uh, Emil Goldschmidt and Hampus Melin started uh, in December of twenty thirteen in this in our local bar called Oblomov, which. If I recall correctly, the bar opened in November, and then in December we 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 asked them if we if we can do some live music there because so at that time there were 
it was another session up in the Prenzlauerberg uh, that Hausler has been running for Klosmer Stamtisch had been running for many years. But somehow, like, it was a bunch of, you know, new Klezmer musicians who were moving down south to, to this part of town. And, um, yeah, and we thought, why not, why not have a little jam session here? And it was really a little jam session at first. And then I think after a few, after maybe like five sessions, we got a shout out in one of the, like, Berlin newspapers, and then the next session, all the sessions after that were basically packed. Nice. Yeah, I've seen a lot of videos from those over the years, and there's there's quite a few people. You ever been there? You you never. I actually know. I think I met Emil playing at a session, and I don't know if it was that one, but it sounds like it was mm. that one somewhere around then. And uh, you know, I visited Berlin, and I remember. It was like it was like either it was downstairs or something like that, and I I can actually remember some of the tunes we played at that session. I was like, oh, this guy can play, yeah, you know, because <laughs> I don't think I'd met Emil before, but I knew you and I knew Hampus, and um, Wait, were we, we were, also there, me and Hampus? Maybe, so, so one of you was there for sure, and then I remember Christian and Sana brought their kids by and surprised me with that, and that was really great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should definitely come to one of these sessions. I, I would love to. You get any trombonist, slide trombonist at these things? Not really, but I, I do remember, uh, and there are, in fact, photos from that session, that, and they made it into a book. But Ryan Purchase was our, oh, our, our, friend, Another... our friend from Ottawa. Ottawa? Yeah. yeah. He was uh, passing by, uh, visiting Berlin, and he got on the cover of a book uh, by our friend Phil Alexander, who wrote his PhD about Klezmer sessions in, in, in Germany. Hell yeah. That's so beautiful. yeah, I don't know that that all happened. N nobody planned any of this, but now there's a book with, with my sweaty face playing accordion on the cover. of. The... It's great. It's great. But yeah, I, other than, other than Ryan, actually not many trombonists except Christian David, who, you know, well, you know some, he can play anything. He can play he anything. Does. Yeah. He mostly, you know, he, Actually, it was nice last time he came with a clarinet because he rarely does that. <laughs> I, I understand him. You know, you get like I get bored of playing yeah, yeah, accordion. Of I'm happy to not play accordion. If if so. I, sometimes I I know some trombonists. Uh, one of my main heroes is like this incredibly virtuosic trombonist, and he spent a large portion of his career kind of doing everything but playing trombone. And I kind of get it. If I was good, if I was as good as he was when I was in my twenties. And didn't, you know, well, I would be like, all right, maybe I'm done with this. But for me, it's been such a struggle to play the instrument that I'm like, still got, I'm still at it. Like, I still got more to do. Right. You know, maybe if I run out of things to say, but I'm nowhere near that. Yeah. So, right. Berlin, Stedel Neukölln, Stedel Berlin now is doing pretty good. You had fun? It's, I mean, it's always super fun. Basically, the reason we, we kind of wanted a festival is because our, the sessions were just getting too packed and there mm. was really no space for dancing or even no space for, you know, just jamming. If you had a slide mm. trombone, you're, you're, you know, there's no space yeah, for yeah, you yeah. to slide. So we started organizing this like little dance uh, events, just some Klezmer dance parties. And then we started organizing the festival. I think it was in 2015 that we had the first festival. It was like a year after the first Yiddish New York. Mm, okay. Yeah, so probably 15, 16. yeah, 16. And it's been going strong ever since. 
you know it's a low budget and high fun festival so we we you know we don't have we don't have huge grants and to to bring out you know big acts but people just come out to you know have fun and uh i know my ideal festival in general not just this one is just like one big jam session or like different jam <laughs> sessions that like turn into a big jam session and then and it's kind of like informal you know both for things like workshops and for things like just kind of playing music together and you know learning together and uh, yeah. you know creating some some thing together you know uh, but uh, yeah no it was it was super fun we had uh kind of a few where the very nice dance ball and we had uh, some workshops uh, we had the first ever uh shtetl pop crawl oh, uh, nice. i don't i don't know if that's 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 the actual name. It's a Yiddish pop crawl. How do you say pop crawl in Yiddish? Exactly. Uh, but we basically, so, and again, th- there was like a very neighborhood thing where we had a different jam session in like a different bar. So we had this like three bars with four rooms. And so we had um, like a Yiddish sing-along in one of them and a string jam in the other and the klezmer, a regular klezmer jam and like a tune learning session. And so people would go go from one place to another, and you know, and random people would stop and look at it shockingly, and then stop and get a get a glass of wine at you know one p.m. because that's what you do here in Berlin anyway on the Sunday. So, so that was just uh, uh, yeah. I I hope next year we'll really do this like a real pub crawl, and maybe if um, yeah, it was Sasha's idea to like have a you know. A lo- like a whole day thing with some, you know, DJ party in the evening or a concert or something. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome. So you really have to crawl. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, like it, you asked if it was fun and it was fun and it was, you know, I told someone uh, years ago also, you know, I had the same feeling. Like in order to play music and hang out with my friends sometimes like we need to, i just like we need to organize a festival to do that you know if yeah, that's what no, it that's takes absolutely right it's like we're not absolutely. we're not we're not getting rich or famous from this festival we're just getting you know a good a nice hang and you get nourished um, you get nourished yeah yeah with them and you know it's it's worth it i'm not i have no regrets except the lack of sleep and just general you know i came here and just was jet lagged for the whole time perfect what a trip. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's funny. that I'm glad you said it that way because I was thinking about how over the many years that I've known you, and it's really been a lot of them, it's, you know, watching, I think for all of us, I'm sure it's the same looking at me, but the ways that we've sort of changed our focus of our activities from just trying to sort of hang on to, you know, feeling comfortable to then sort of taking leadership roles of various types and you know it's you just laid out a very very good reason to get into the organizing game you know it's just so you can actually have the same the party that you want to have you know uh i mean i i like i I like a good party uh you know and i like um like i like to have a good party in my house and i like to have a good party and you know anywhere and i think yeah, I mean priorities. You know, what 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 do what do, what do I need in life? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, part of it is just to make music and make music with my friends, and you know, just yeah. hang out with my friends. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, you know, if if we didn't have to worry about paying the bills, what would we get up to? But it's, you know, I was thinking about, like, going back to all of our journeys into this music are, are, are really, they're never, they're never sort of a straight line. They're these very twisty pathways. And I guess the place I'll start is, like, when did you hear about the word klezmer or, you know, did you have a concept of, I know for me, it was like very, the American story. I had a concept of Jewishness and Jewish music way before I ever heard the word klezmer or had any sense of like Yiddish music or anything like that. You know, I grew up in a conservative synagogue, kind of a mainstream conservative-ish synagogue, and went to Hebrew school for years, did all this stuff, and you know, we sang our songs, you know. And it was like, if someone had said, what is Jewish music? I'd be like Debbie Friedman, these songs we sang, the prayer melodies, things like that, you know. But never heard the word klezmer growing up. I have no recollection of that from before late teenagers. Right. So yeah, like I mean, did you did you have that kind of separation too or like what were the the sparks of klezmer for you? Um well, I want to say and I think it would be more or less accurate that I first heard the word or saw the word klezmer written down was 20 years ago. Yeah. Around this time, maybe like May, June, but that, that that might be too specific, but basically, I had this. I found this cassette. Uh, there was in our, in our house, actually. I don't think I ever listened to it, but um, found this cassette, which was which had like it was a compilation. And I'm I'm not even sure it had the word klezmer on it. I might be. I I I can't find it if I ever find it somewhere. Uh, but um, it was a compilation of like Soviet and post-Soviet klezmer, like just like a. I don't know. It's just a compilation of Jewish music. Yeah. It had Berry Sisters, which is not Soviet or post-Soviet at all, but it was like the things that, you know, Soviet Jews like to listen to or would nice. like to listen. So it had various artists. So it was like a few tracks by the Berry Sisters. Then it was, um, I think, this guy, Jan Tabachnik, who plays, is like, I wouldn't say Ukrainian, Moldovan accordionist, who recorded a bunch of stuff. Um, it sounds exactly how you would think it would sound so yeah. like kind of like some backing tracks and he plays accordion and then it was this thing it was the band that's called ovir o-v-i-r which means uh basically the uscis for but in in russian i forgot what like the immigration uh oh, okay um service which was uh that was the name of the band it's kind of but it's uh you know how jews would leave soviet union basically you would have to go through that oh, okay so the reverse USCS. How how would you how would you uh, immigrate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember Emigr that. Time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This was this was in Latvia, right? Oh, the cassette was in Latvia, but you know, the music was uh, probably from Ukraine or like Odessa. But anyway, basically, so they had some klezmer tunes in there. It was like a band. It was now kind of looking back at that particular recording, I find that some arrangements are a bit cheesy i guess yeah but also they're quite good like they're not very klezmery in the sense of what we're used to calling klezmer these days but also kind of good arrangements yeah, on there anyway so i heard the word klezmer 20 years ago maybe in the spring yep. of 2003 yeah <laughs> 2003 and then um later that year in august of 2003 i uh started learning accordion because I haven't actually 
uh, been playing accordion until then. I was playing various other things with various levels of proficiency. And, and the way this happened was also kind of by accident. I was playing in this punk band. I was playing like synthesizer. Um, yeah. This old, uh, like an old Soviet uh, analog synth. It was super heavy. But, um, oh, no. But it, it, it made it had really nice like LFOs and stuff. So it's like made, made, yeah, yeah, made yeah. really funky sounds. Anyway, so we were supposed to have this acoustic gig. Like somebody invited us to do an acoustic gig somewhere in like in the in their summer house in the forest. And I was like, well, I can't, you know, I need some instrument to play the acoustic gig. It was like the guitarist could play the whatever, the acoustic guitar. Anyway, so I and then my friend had an accordion. I borrowed it to learn it for the gig. And I kind of just figured I'll just, you know, learn it. Um, nice. You know, because I could play the keyboard. It was like how hard, like worst case, I was going to play one hand. Um, and uh, then the gig got, uh, the gig got canceled. <laughs> Oh no! But I already had the accordion, and it's like there was no way back. <laughs> there was no back. Yeah, no. I mean, once once the accordion, people like to say, and I like to say, once Klezmer gets its hooks in you, it doesn't let go. But once the accordion get, that's like that's like a it's like a parasite. There's no way to get it out. I know. It's um well, um what once people figured out they played accordion, I also started getting gigs. Um, really? Kind of. So it's so like, it's it's like that joke <laughs> with the bass player. With the bass player. What's the joke? You get the bass player gets the gig after the second lesson. That's the oh uh, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah no that's a joke. It's funny because this reminds me of our friend Michael Tuttle, who's a bass player also living down the street. Yeah, he told me, and I don't know if that's true, that you know he didn't have gigs. He would just like walk around the neighborhood with a bass in you know in his backpack, and people were like, oh yeah, like I I have this gig next week. They want to play. <laughs> I need a bass player. Yeah, I believe it. I believe um, it. But um, so you you started gigging, right? But yeah, so basically, what happened was I got this accordion. I was like sitting at home for two weeks, just obsessed with it, and kind of like fi- trying to figure out the left hand through like you know we play a note on the right hand and then like find the corresponding note on the left hand and see if you mm. know. And uh, yeah, I think after a couple of weeks, I've kind of figured out where where the notes go, uh, or like at least some of them, and I could play some basic chords. But I. Then and now, I'm like I was not really good at just practicing by myself, and just I don't enjoy playing music by myself as much as I enjoy playing music with other people. So I went to my friend, uh, violinist Inna Reichman, who was um, we've known each other because we played in a like a rock band together where I played drums at that time. Nice, a whole other thing, but um, of course, and um. You know, I thought like a violin accordion could be a nice, a nice combination, and you know, it wouldn't be as boring for me to practice. And I would have some external motivation and some framework to learn accordion. So I thought we would be playing like tangos or something. I don't know. For me, that's very smart. That that sounded like a good thing. And you know, I heard some tangos. I figured that would be a, maybe a good thing. You know, and a nice contrast to whatever rock music I was playing at the time. So, and uh, she suggested that we play klezmer. Uh, because she oh, yeah. has been to a uh, uh, two klezmer festivals in St. Petersburg a few years before that, the Klesfest St. Petersburg, which does not exist anymore, but did exist from I guess mid '90s till mid whatever 2000s. Yeah, so she and she knew some klezmer. She had some like sheet music. She had some recordings from there, and so she suggested that we play some klezmer. And I reluctantly agreed because I did not. Oh yeah. I did not find Klezmer very exciting somehow, or rather, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I'm sure there were lots of factors why I was apprehensive about playing Klezmer. You know, just um, kind of, uh, I don't know. It's like corny and maybe, you know, Jewish. It was too Jewish for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. Well, okay. So, I mean, I don't want to go too much uh, off topic here. But, a little bit. But, um, you know, growing up Jewish in Latvia was not the same as growing up Jewish in America. And I'm sure growing up Jewish in America is also not one thing. It's probably very many things. But um, Sure. Yeah, just, um, and I kind of on and off grew up Jewish in the sense that, you know, my family was very Jewish, but not like culturally or religiously. We were just Jewish. Like maybe yeah. it manifested most in the fact that, you know, all all my family are doctors. Okay. So we were, yeah. grew up stereotypically Jewish. But, you know, like my mother and like, you know, everybody was just like Soviet Jews. You know, there's no like, not a lot of, re not no religious component or like traditional component. I think my grandparents spoke Yiddish uh, and maybe, but you know, I never, I never even met them. So, mm. so I didn't really have like a deep cultural connection to Judaism or, or Jewishness, but I did, you know, for some reason, my mother put me in the Jewish day school, you know, when I went to school. It was basically, it was like, uh, not like an after, like a Hebrew school, after school thing, but it was like a full-time, yeah. full-time Jewish school. It was the first Jewish school in, in the Soviet Union. So they kind oh, of wow. like, it started in 1989 or 1990. And then I was like the, the second, like I went there the second year of its operation. Wow. And then basically like one year into the. You know, I, I, it was one year in Soviet Union, and the next year was already no Soviet Union. <laughs> yes, so, that's right. Um, <laughs> and now looking back, I was just thinking about recently, like, I feel like I have learned some Yiddish songs there because our, our teacher, Mina Haimovna, um, was... Uh, and I recently found some, like, some notebooks from, like, second grade, maybe, or third grade, and there are definitely some Yiddish songs in there. No kidding. Yeah, so I guess subliminally somewhere I definitely heard some Yiddish. You, you know, you usually can when you when you talk to one of us, you usually can find one of these like secret hooks that we weren't aware of. Right. I keep I keep discovering that. I'm like, oh yeah, there's there's there are a lot of reasons why you've ended up where you are. Right. Right. I mean, I, but you know, it's not like something that I can consciously remember. And I do remember no. some of the Hebrew stuff. I do remember that I learned these two phrases of Hebrew that I could say, you know, Ani Lamed Bebeit Sefer Yehudi, Bekita Aleph, and something else. Um, <laughs> so you're playing, you're playing, you start playing klezmer with your friend, and you're like, ugh. Yeah, and like part of it was because I, like after that school, basically I spent like four years in that school, and then I went to like a regular Russian school, which also became okay. Latvia, whatever. That's a whole other topic of uh, the Russian-Latvian relationships in in uh, Latvia. But anyway, yeah, I went to, um, you know, regular school and then went to university. Like, I didn't necessarily want to be, like, explicitly Jewish. I just wanted to be a normal person, you know, a yeah. normal something. I had enough identity crisis with, like, being Russian-speaking in Latvia and, like, trying to figure out what that means. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, I don't know. That was just, like, a whatever just some jewish music but um i was like fine and so <laughs> um so we, we we started playing it and then basically i think i had my first gig maybe like a month 
uh, after I started learning accordion. Amazing, amazing. And it was on uh, November 9th, which is the anniversary of the Kristallnacht. Right. And uh, it was at the Jewish community in Riga. It was like a memorial kind of concert to commemorate that. And uh, I remember, so our band, we played four, we played two songs altogether. One of them was an instrumental, which is called Sydney's Egene. Yeah. You know that one, right? Which was, that was the first klezmer tune I ever learned. From sheet oh, from nice. sheet music, which I couldn't really read. From sheet music, I, yeah. I couldn't really. Oh, you could. I kind great. of. I could read it slowly, and then like you know, in the played it for me, and then I learned it, <laughs> yes. sort of half by ear and half by looking at the music. And the other song was Aida Shamama, which um, also. I was gonna say. Yeah, Sasha. Sa- Sasha sang also. That was the first thing we ever performed together, with uh, with I mean, Sasha. If, if I w- I was thinking, I was like, a Kristallnacht commemoration. They probably played my Yiddish Mama. <laughs> it's like, what does that have to do with each other? I can't tell you directly, but I just, I just believed it somehow. Yeah, no, you, you, you know, you got it. We're on the same wave. You definitely. And um, you know, I didn't know anything from Klezmer or, or Yiddish. I didn't know what is good or what yeah, is sure. bad. That's just, just what the, what the repertoire was. I played it. I, I did the gig. It was fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to find that there's a there's a VHS of that recording somewhere, which I want oh, to digitize for the 20th anniversary of uh, our, 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 our Crystal Nacht. You know, you have a couple months. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. That's hysterical. Just that's uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's in November. Hysterical. So at the least, I'm not sure. I'll have to talk to you know people involved in Sasha, especially. See if we really yes. want to put out that song out there. Well, you can have it. You can have it as a as a little present for each other. You don't necessarily need to put yeah, it on YouTube yeah, if like, you don't want no, to. No, I I think I I saw it like maybe ten years ago, uh, and I it's nice. it's okay. It's kind of like we did as much as Listen, we could back then, and it was actually nice. You know, I that's great. I mean, that's awesome. And and I could Just the idea that you can yeah, listen to that and feel decent about it. Still. I I was able to fake being able to play accordion basically by that time yeah. and. Uh, you know, and it still continue so, to this day. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, actually, one of the things that I'm I'm hearing from you is that is how consistent, you know, your your approach to music has been, kind of throughout this time. You know, it's like you've always played a lot of different instruments. Accordion has always been sort of the focus professionally, and um, but you know, it's not the only thing. And everybody knows that you play a lot of instruments. Like I sneakily play some other instruments down in my basement where I'm recording from, but I don't really play them out. Right. And I did once, and I was like, eh, I'm going to go back into the basement. But, uh, you know, so you're always you're always out there doing it, and then you're you're like, let me jump into this head first, whether I even want to or not, you know? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. That's I mean, awesome. I, ca- yeah, awesome. I kind of had this approach, and I had this, you know, like I, I had some piano lessons when I was a kid, and... Mm-hmm. And then I kind of stopped because, you know, piano was not cool. And I it wanted happens, to do something yeah. cool. So when I was a teenager, I started playing playing drums. And I got, well, whatever, I got better at it. Basically, it was like the first time I sat on the, at the drum kit. I I could play, like, and it was, it was, I was like at our friend's band rehearsal. And 
they were like rehearsing this thing and the drummer was struggling to play like some you know like simple yep, beat for a while and a and I was watching story. this for like three days I was coming there oh, and no. and then and then he took a break and then I, I sat down and played like you know whatever it was supposed to be everybody's like you got the gig. basically yeah the drummer got really upset I think <laughs> uh, but um, like a year later they they like invited me to join the band so that was that was my success that's my success really, story uh, that's yeah, that's. You you learn the cutthroat ways of this business early, right. and and you know to be to be fair, that band was like we were all pretty bad, and but we had a really good time. Hey, like we we, we I, I don't think the music was great. I there's probably VHS of it somewhere as well, <laughs> which nice. I, but but really we had a great time, and we were like rehearsing two or three times a week, and we were really just like into that and that's like the way all to learning. Do it. That's so good. So yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, have... that's something that's you know. Never gonna experience again. I'm not gonna no, have a band so funny, rehearsing like, three times a week. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. You, maybe I feel probably like not. if I, if I get a school gig or something, and I'll have. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, no, it's interesting. It's like I, I think about I didn't have the experience with bands growing up, but I have so many like one degree of separation for people who did. So like like uh, as an adult, I met all these metalhead guys and then I realized that we were in elementary school together with a couple of them. And um, one of them's mastered a bunch of my records, you know, and I realized that they started their band with this guy across the street for me and, and that all these friends now. So there was like the metalheads and then there was like the hardcore punk rocker people who were all doing this kind of around me. And I was just like there with a trombone. I kind of wish, you know, I wish I had had that experience, but it, watching the, the bonds that they have. And then also kind of how it informs the way they play music in general is just like super cool because, you know, knowing, knowing that we knew each other so far back in ways that I can't even remember. Right. It just, you just, you just see, you just see, it's it like, you, I can still see that thread of connection that they have, even though I don't, remember anything back then <laughs> just the way they like figured things out together and without like a top-down situation because all my edu music education came from teachers right, right you know not private teachers i actually was terrible i'm like you <laughs> in which i'm not good at practicing yeah. on my own but i'm better at playing music and so i went through a bunch of private teachers when i was young and just was i just wouldn't practice basically and even when i did practice it wasn't good like there was a time for me when i put in the hours and got almost nothing out of it. Really. I really had the horn to my face, played all the exercises over and over again and didn't get anywhere compared to like going into rehearsal at school and jazz band and learning a tune by ear. And like, that was just such, it, I could just, I mean, even remembering thinking back on it, I can just feel the difference in right. the way I felt about it. Right. But yeah. So it's an interesting thing. I want to, you know, talk about how you got, into a larger community of Yiddish of like Yiddish music people. Yeah. You know, and maybe we can go into the details, but like I also want to just like what was it like going from, you know, I mean you had at least you had a vocalist who was, you know, one of one of my faves and also one of my friends. Yep. You had you had a band, you had the ability to play gigs, you had and but then, you know, by the time I met you, what, 3 4 years later? Ish, yeah. You were 2007. You were mm -hmm. uh uh, yeah, 07 at Close Canada. I think so, yeah. And it's like, I mean, the thing is, my perception of you, because there was this program, East Meets West, East 
meets West yeah. that brought a bunch of folks over. You were sort of presented to us as a whole group of people. <laughs> so I was like, well, of course they're all best friends. <laughs> but it also kind of looked like that to me. And I have no idea whether that was true. And there was language stuff, you know, for di- at different levels for different people. And, um, you know, it was a long time ago. But, yeah, like, one of the things that I thought was really amazing was that not only were you this group of people, but that you were also from, like, different countries, right? right. So, for me, it was like, by then, I had some klezmer friends, and it was like, the U.S. and Canada. And that was all, and maybe, like, I think I might have known Merlin Shepard from England, but, like, it wasn't, like, this sense of, like, oh, I have an international cohort of people. So, yeah, what right. was it, I mean... Uh, yeah. Yeah, what was that That's like? a great question, and that is... Yeah, it was a very pivotal moment in my life. So basically, yeah, I played that gig in, you know, in November 9th of 2003. Yeah. And then I kind of didn't really do very much. I learned maybe a couple. Um, so by the time I went in um, in June 2004, I went to my first Klesmer Festival, which was in St. Petersburg. It was the Klesfest St. Petersburg 2004. And that, that's the same festival in that went like twice before and when i got there i knew like i would i want to say two and a half tunes which is Mm -hmm. i knew that sydney's agen and bulgar which by the way i thought was australian because it said sydney oh that's awesome (laughs) i i had no idea who sydney is or what sydney is and what is Agene? Yeah. Well, you knew it was a city. A city, and uh, yeah, yeah exactly. I think we had funny names for all those klezmer tunes because you know we didn't know what this like Lebedek and Freilich is, so we called it something funny in Russian. I remember, but um, yeah, so I knew that tune. I knew Nachis von Kinder mostly, and I knew the first section of Hazer Bulgar. Um, but also I had a kind of. Uh, yeah, I also, you know, I was playing accordion, so I didn't have to know all the tunes. I just had to be able right. to follow no, the that, tunes. That was my story, too. Right, that yeah. That was my story as well, yeah. And that, that that's also, you know, how I continue to this day, where, <laughs> uh, you know. You've, you've got everybody tricked that you know every tune on earth, but actually, I, it's yeah. that you can follow every tune on earth. No, you, you, you do, now at this point, you've... Uh, I'm assuming you learned a bunch of tunes that week. At the so fest. yeah, yeah, and that that class fest. So basically, you know, I came there, and it's just like any other festival, sort of. Except I guess it's kind of like a class Canada, but in the city. But mm. you kind of so we were living all this in this like a post-Soviet hotel on the outskirts of Saint Petersburg. We which we basically wouldn't leave it unless we went to like play a concert or something. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we would just stay there, and it's like 9 a.m. Yiddish class, 10 a.m. or whatever, 11 a.m. workshops, and basically like workshops all day, and then jam sessions all night. So I would not sleep very yeah. much. Luckily, I was, you know, 21, so I could afford to do that. And uh, I was basically just playing music all the time. And until then, I yeah. didn't really... Like, there were times in my life where I would play music every day, maybe... But I never was really mm. conscious about that. I was like, yeah, I can play music. I like playing music. If I don't play music, I, I, don't, I didn't play music. You know, It was just yeah. something that I did and I enjoyed, but I never really I never really wanted to be a professional musician, I guess. I, I don't know. I never really wanted to be anything. I just like, there are things I like to do. And um, you know, I, yeah, ju- I just want to be able to keep doing them, whatever, you know. Nice. Uh, however, 
and like find the means to do them you know uh, but uh, yeah so and it, that like changed my life in in many ways because I first first of all like I learned in that week maybe more than I learned in the last year and then when I came home like I learned in like three months I learned you know a hundred tunes or something I don't know I learned I or uh, I I don't know maybe a hundred maybe fifty maybe, maybe ten I mean, whatever, well, whatever it was it was much more than <laughs> than you know. And and it was basically like I came home and I was playing every day also or almost every day I was really like get, you know, yeah. really like hyper focused on that. I didn't know what hyper focusing was back then, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yeah. And the, another thing, yeah, like you know, I realized that I have the power to make music. I have the power to like, I I sort of knew it. Like you know, I always had like relatively good rhythm and I had good ear for chord, chord yeah. changes. Those were kind of my. Um, my, my, Those are great starting points. Yeah, like I mean, not it's not you know it wasn't like amazing. I definitely refined it, but I that those were the things that were kind of easy for me to kind of catch on, and you know those are good like superpowers to to have if you're Absolutely. if you're starting. And that means you can fake a lot of stuff. That means you can you know just like follow follow other people. Um, mm-hmm. And I. Um, yeah, so basically, like, I found myself in this, like, constant music-making uh, uh, process. Like, also, the first, the first person I met was actually Christian David, I think. Like, I, I oh, arrived nice. in St. Petersburg, and we went on a bus tour of uh, Jewish St. Petersburg. And so I was sitting next to him on a bus. And also, I think partially, like, I always kind of was good at the English. So... Because okay. I don't know, I was like into it when I was since I was a teenager, and uh, my my first job was translating uh, comic books into Russian. That that my oh, I, I I had an English tutor, and she would give me like offload her jobs onto me, and so she would pay me like <laughs> five whatever the currency was back then uh, for like per book, which is not a lot, but it was you know it was a job. Well, you're a teenager. Yeah, I was like, like I can use thirteen, and I you're stoked. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. like ten dollars. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, God. exactly. And you know, it was it was like easy. It was not like complex. It was just like yeah. whoosh and boom, and <laughs> mostly that was yeah, mostly yeah, the yeah. comic. But I, I think, I think part of the reason, you know, that I got to hang out with those Americans and Christian, because because I because I actually could like communicate with him. My English was decent. So basically, the teachers I think at the workshop was Christian and uh, Stas Raiko from from mm-hmm. Kharkiv, who now lives in Germany, or maybe he lived in Germany already yeah. by then. A violinist and Michael Alpert, who needs no introduction, and Lawrence Klamberg, who needs no introduction. And so yeah. yeah, it was a funny moment. The first night there was a dinner, and uh, when we played this. Uh, you know, team team building game where we had to introduce our neighbor, like the the person that sits next to you. And I was sitting next to Michael Alpert, so, and basically I had no idea what like what anything from from Klezmer scene. So yeah. I don't remember what I said, but it was something like, "I just met this guy, but apparently he's a big deal." <laughs> you knew your place. Yeah, well, well he right started telling me it was like you were supposed to tell, you know, tell your neighbor about yourself. Yeah, he started yeah, telling yeah, me it's yeah, like, yeah. Hey, yeah, that's you see, it seems like you've done a lot. I have no idea who you are, but you know. <laughs> and you know, I like you know, Michael. He's a he's he's cool and we, you know, we got along and like he speaks Russian and English yeah. and you know, switched back and he forth. Speaks a lot of- but yeah, basically, so the takeaway from that week was I met so many people. And I met so many people who are obsessed with music 
and who are like playing music professionally or not professionally, but that's what they do. <laughs> that was all we were doing and yep. drinking, lots of drinking also because St. Petersburg. <laughs> <laughs> and, th- and I met, you know, it's yep. like I met a lot of people at FEMA Journey. I met um, many, ma- many, many musicians with whom I, you know, still am in touch and many musicians with whom I'm, still, I'm not in touch for, for many years. But um, yeah, that was a very transformative experience. And basically since that year, I've been every year and then more than once a year, I've been going to different Klezmer festivals and that's kind of became just my life. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, same, same. It's, it's not like, the worst. It's not it the worst. Long, it really isn't. And there was a long time for me when my entire Klezmer experience kind of revolved around those things. You know, it was sort of like, even when I was, even after college, when I was professionally gigging, it would be like, oh, I know that like, I'm kind of like hanging on in these gigs, but that when I go back to Klez camp, I'm going to get better. I'm going to like advance, you know, my knowledge or something like that. Cause I'm going to get to be around these people. I'm going to get to immerse myself in that sort of, I mean, I think so much of it is like the 24 hour a day cycle, nearly 24 hour a day cycle of just like playing music. You know, I was like, I'll never play as much music as I will at one of these festivals. Right. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, as you know, it's like withdrawal where you're like, I just want to be playing music all year. Why can't we just have a festival all year? But I mean, you can sort of by playing music <laughs> at home or getting a band or something, you know. Or getting a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to get you're going to get your new band. I mean, you know, I think that's something that you've done. You know, you talked about you lived in Berlin. You're like, oh, we should have a bunch of sessions. And then you're moved to Brooklyn and you're like, oh, well, there's this really big park nearby. We should just start having, you know, Klezmer picnics. And one of the things that I love is that you always do it with other people sort of right off the bat. Like you're not you're you know you're you're able to forge out on your own and take responsibility and do all this stuff like and that's i mean i want to talk about where where your sort of leadership skills that you really i think are you know have and use a lot now come you know how that come about because i also remember there was a different maybe a different time before then where that wasn't really something you were like pushing but just to say you know you're always out there collaborating and you're always out there playing you're like hey let's play you know, yeah, because I get uh, like I have short attention span and uh, low social skills. I get I get bored, um, and so like yeah, basically like Give I go to a party coin. and if it's you know, if I don't know anyone or if I don't know a lot of people, I'm just gonna like sit in the corner and play guitar or something. And if and if I do know a lot of people, I think there will be a moment at some point where I'll just be sitting in the corner and playing guitar to either <laughs> enjoyment or annoyance of of other people but you know that's that's kind yeah, of yeah. how i communicate and that's I, I i often feel like i just you know i don't practice enough in the way like not even in a guilty way just like i want to i want to get better at music you know like all the time yeah, yeah, and yeah. so yeah, like i said i don't i don't i'm not good at practicing by myself so i always try to find opportunities where i can learn you know with other people and that's that's kind of like yeah. when i was back when i was living in riga i would I think I started playing my flute or some. Oh, and I was I, I went through a brief period where I tried to learn a trumpet by myself, lasted maybe a few months. But basically, I would I would take those instruments, whatever I was learning at the time, and just go to like a Latvian jam session and just like play along because you know also the melodies were kind of simple. A lot of them, it's like majors, yeah. you know, like 
dance music. And so I would just go and like practice, you know, practice my scales at, at those jam sessions. Um, you know, when it wasn't too annoying, it was fine. It was like, I wasn't really destroying the music and it's a jam session. Like it's, the stakes are low. Right, right, right. I have right, a, right. I have this theory about the, well, the theory about the jam sessions, but. Lay it on me. Which um, is, I think, relevant to this conversation, which is, I feel like jam session is maybe one of the sort of the more natural environments for klezmer music these days of the options that we have these days because i don't really like it's not the right word but let's say i don't really like when things are overarranged like when klezmer tunes when it's too much when it's like oh you know like oh yeah like here you have this like half a bar that the violin is doing a solo and then like the like i, I that that's maybe Sometimes it's good, but a lot of times it's like doesn't add to the music, yeah, um, necessarily. And I guess I don't like when things are not too arranged in the sense that like you don't know what you're doing and mm-hmm. it's kind of a mess. So, but what's nice about a jam session is that you're you're creating spontaneous arrangements as you go, and they will not will never be as perfect as you know if you write them out, except. We're kind of getting there, like with some people, you know. If we play together, yeah, you and I, we'll, we'll. It's probably gonna sound, you know, pretty arranged in the way that it's like we're gonna probably like complete each other's phrases or whatever, because we are kind of on the same wave, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've 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 had a lot of opportunity over the years to to find to build the wave together. I mean, you know, right? And then it turns out like some some of our you know some of our we we share a lot of experiences. I actually felt like. We were on a seriously good. We co-taught a class at Yiddish New York back in December, and we were on a we were on a serious wavelength there. I don't know. I thought that was a really cool one. Yeah, no, I think it was great. You know, when I was actually awake. That. <laughs> but, yeah. So there was this point. I have this amazing memory of us in the Krakow Festival, playing for the dance class, and actually, there's a video on Facebook of this. Oh, that with pops with, 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 with retro, the, uh, and you were you were swinging around these like circus <laughs> things. And oh, just yeah. sort of dancing around. That was a phase. And, yeah, that was a phase. And um it's great. And I was just like, That's eh, my friend Ilya. He's here. <laughs> you know? And then and then sometime pretty soon after that, I was like, Dang, Ilya's playing with everybody all the time. Like that was a trip was that a transition or did you notice that happening or did you just you just wake up one day and you're like, wait a minute, I'm gigging and traveling constantly. Yeah. Um, both, um, so it was, it was funny when I, like after that first festival, when I went to, you know, I went to St. Petersburg and then I came back and I was like, oh, klezmer music is so amazing. I'm going to quit all my other bands. Actually, I don't want to make music professionally. I just want to research klezmer, learn as many, like, I don't want to make money with this music. Mm. I don't know. That, that was kind of my mindset. It was just like, I just want to play. And as soon as people would find out that I play accordion and klezmer, they would like, oh, come play at our... Uh, Christian wedding for some reason. Okay. Uh, come play, come play at this like opening of this museum. Come play at this at the World Music Festival. So I actually started getting more gigs with Klezmer, which Amazing. was very, very fun. like it was not at all my intention. Like I didn't go into this music for money. Not that, <laughs> not that anyone should. And also, it doesn't guarantee that you would actually get gigs. And it's not like I became rich, but I definitely, you know, I'm every day. I'm grateful that I can make make my living doing what i like yeah absolutely like i don't uh, you know i don't take that too much for granted i've you know it's it's good and i feel like now i actually 
like first I was like, no, don't hire me. I'm not. I'm not very good. Mm. <laughs> because I because I wasn't. Uh, you know, I think, and I I was good at like quickly kind of faking certain things mm -hmm. and you know catching chords and basically th and that is you know as you know as an I as an accompanist yep. and i feel like i'm maybe even more of an accompanist than you can be because you know i can play my right 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 mm. yeah you can you can definitely be more more supportive right you... like all all you need is an accordion like yep. if you're a soloist accordion, accordion can be all you need yep so so i started playing with like singers and you know clarinetists and violinists or like whatever like small combos actually so after like i went to either summer weimar i got um, uh, our friend emma steinman the clarinetist from yeah, england she invited me to join her band which is called the queen esther klezmer trio yeah and it was me her and mark Kavnatsky, and we toured germany quite extensively while i was still living in riga so i would like fly out to germany try to like squeeze the accordion in the into the airplane without yep. anyone noticing and and we would play so like in Germany you have this thing uh, which is called the Zentralrat der Juden which is like the Jewish council i guess you would call it and it's basically you can apply for, like with your band or your project you apply to play gigs in Jewish communities and they sponsor those gigs wow so great. it's like because the Jewish communities are Yep. Whatever. It's not America. It's a different thing. The Jewish community, like... They're organized in a different way. Yeah, we... they're basically sponsored through this council, through the government, through the church tax, which everyone has to pay. <laughs> or not everyone. You can say that you're not religious and they don't pay it. Unlike the TV tax, which is hard to get out of. I would imagine, yeah. But anyway, so basically... And you apply and you can get like... I, th I think you get like 10 gigs a year and they pay... You know, like basically, I think they pay your fees, and maybe the communities pay your travel, or like there's some different, okay, different different um, different ways this is structured. But basically, like you get, you know, like your ten gigs per year, and you just have to show up and play those gigs. And within, we had a program, and we played for like a few years, like this. Wow. That's so totally solid. Totally solid. Yeah, yeah. and and that was and and I mean and that's still happening. That is how you know a lot of class musicians are making you know yeah. part of their living in Germany. Like you get a state funded, uh, state funded huh. job basically. Well, now that, right. you, now <laughs> that you live in the U.S., you know how how much I like sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not I quite mean the same. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. But. Basically, yeah, that was like one of the first things where I was like, oh, yeah, I can just like get gigs. I mean, and I was getting like non-Klezmer gigs kind of occasionally, yeah. but they were usually in Riga, but they were not very well yeah. paid. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, it's like as years went by, I kind of like, I think I'm a, I think I'm a decent accompanist. I think I can, you know, and I can follow someone and I can like I try to, I try to be as, you know, not too invasive, but also like, you know, kind of. Do my own yeah. thing, but also while supporting something. I recently saw, uh, um, who was that? Eva Salina and Peter Stan. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw them play Not together, live. but I think I think that's that's yeah. It's it's just like very beautiful the way they interact. Like Peter Stan just gets all his stuff out, you know, like all his virtuosic technique, but it also like it doesn't get in the way of the singing. That's really cool. It's like he has his moments, and when he's accompanying, it's like. It's really following the carrying the voice. Anyway, so you know, I aspire to be like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just started. I just started playing. I guess I I get better. Yeah. And people. And you found your way to some people who were gigging a lot. You know, I mean, uh, was that Alpine Alpine Klezmer? I mean, that was a really busy band, right? 
Right, right. So me uh, and Andrea Panchur, a singer from Bavaria that uh, we also all know and love. Yeah. Was, um, we started actually, I'm going to say it was maybe 11 years ago, yep. 12 years ago, even like maybe 2011 is when we started playing together. She wanted to do a project of like Yiddish and Bavarian music. And basically anyone she went to was like, ooh, Yiddish. Like she went to Bavarian musicians were like, ooh, Yiddish music, it sucks. And they went to Yiddish musicians and they said, ooh, Bavarian music, that's like corny. And then I I was, I guess the first person that was like, yeah, why not? Okay, there you go. <laughs> I, I, that sounds, you know, innocent enough. I, I need, I, I need, I need a job. Yeah. This is fun. It's nice playing with you. You know, and like you went to work. I didn't have like the prejudice, right. I guess, that many of us. And we gigged a lot, I think, in the like years since yeah, then. Yeah, you did. At least from my perspective. Yeah. And, you know, Andrea is really good besides being a great singer and, you know, she's a performer. She's really good at booking gigs like and she has a vast network we we should all be learning that not not the scales i mean also, also the scales but you know yeah in the end of the day we should be learning mm -hmm. some booking but and we also it was nice that we performed in different constellations so you we had like a you know up to i don't know what it's like eight piece band oh, wow. and then we would also do a lot of duo gigs just like you it's easy to book a duo yeah. tour we go to and you know go to different places, mostly in Bavaria, actually, which is where the money still is. Uh huh. So you know, if you get and like and if it's a duo, you get you know play in some Bavarian village, and you you know get maybe like for the two of you get paid decently. And again, you know, this being Germany, there's also a lot of state funding for the right. arts, and so you know festivals, all that kind of stuff. And I guess it was good enough that we got the, the, I forgot what it's called, the first prize of the jury or the first something. <laughs> it was basically a main prize of the Rudolstadt Dance and Folk oh, Festival. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, which is now just called the Rudolstadt Festival. They dropped the Dance and Folk and some people were oh, upset sure. about it. Oh, that's going to happen. Because it's, it's like one of the festivals started as this like hippie folk festival in the 60s and then... Like maybe if some years ago they were like we need to make more money, so they started like I think last time I was there there was like Ed Sheeran. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say something it's else. Kind of like the New Orleans Jazz Festival, you know, which, which uh, is yeah. like you know the headliner yeah. might be the Rolling Stones or something like that. Right, right, right. That's really funny. Oh yeah, I just saw recently like some poster for the Jazz Festival, which has like three jazz acts. Yeah, something it. like that. I was there with uh, Daniel Kahn in twenty two thousand ten or eleven, maybe eleven. It was cool. And it's like on these hills, you know, it's really cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 still very nice and still a lot of, you know, enough folk music yeah. for my taste. Nice. I don't know. I've I've been there twice. Actually, I think I'm one of the few people who performed there twice. Apparently oh, really? you're not supposed to. Okay. I don't know. It's like a, it's one of their policies. But I played there a few years after that with Dobrenoch. Oh, my God. 
I mean, like I said, in the time I've known you, I've seen you kind of go through what seemed to me like phases, and yet it does also seem like they've always sort of been based in the same core principles of, hey, man, let's play, you know, or I'd really like to play. And, uh, <laughs> and but there was this, you know, this shift from, you know, just sort of hanging around, figuring things out to, like, being a busy touring musician to being... Uh, to be like running these projects, like the thing you did at Yiddish Summer Weimar for a while, like those were these are some big. You're put, you know, going. You're going from, you know, you say you're a good accompanist, but you're going from the middle of a band to the front of a band in some big ways. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm still discovering, you know, the extent of my my abilities. I do like enjoy kind of I don't know in. What, maybe not not in a selfish way, just like in a way I enjoy being able to do things. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's something like very satisfying about us. Like I can just stand in front of an orchestra and like conduct it yeah. randomly and like improvise or whatever. And like, and it's going to work, which is, you know, something I never dreamt of maybe 20 years ago, but like, and something that I sucked at at first and then I practiced and then it actually better and uh yeah i i kind of feel like you know w one of the things i like about you of the many things is that we both kind of have this like big picture mindset i guess i'm i'm sure maybe maybe everyone has that to some extent but i feel like you know just it's not just about like playing right now or like this is my role and this is what i'm doing and i don't care beyond that yeah. like in the band yeah, or whatever yeah. But I kind of always, you know, I'm a bit of a control freak, I guess, or like I'm learning to also not be that. But I feel like, you know, I want things to go well. Mm -hmm. If it's a concert, I want the concert to go well. So sometimes and it's too much where like I start worrying about someone else, someone else, right, you know, right, right. playing their part. Yeah. But, you know, and but for that, you know, it's good to be like a conductor or someone like, you know, where this is this is my job. My job is to like, I'm not maybe actively making music when I'm conducting. I'm just making sure that music happens, hmm. you know, and also kind of on a bigger scale, like some organizational skills, which is right. uh, also stem from my personal, like inability to be organized myself. That's why I'm trying projecting my, you know, my, my, my needs for, for structure onto other things. But it's like, you know, if I'm organizing a festival or like, I kind of like, I try to keep everything in mind you know, like focus on whatever my role is, but also there, there was this thing, I, um, you know, uh, the Ray Charles movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. It's called Ray, Ray, I think. It's really great. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing movie. And there was a moment where I forgot his name, but he like hired this, this guy as his producer, as his manager. And, and it was like a show that he played and this guy was backstage and he's like, turn on the spotlight on, on Ray, you know, like in the middle of the concert. Mm-hmm. And and that like that was like really good for the concert, and then you know and then after that, Ray hired him as his manager, and you know he asked him like why did you do that? And he's like well because you know I it had to be done like mm. like I I realized that there was and I kind of tried to have that mindset. I tried to have the mindset of like what needs to be done for this event or this tune or this festival, you know, to run smoothly and like without without you know over reaching to you know and like uh controlling other people but like just to you know kind of like keeping the big picture in mind and i feel like this is something 
you know, now we're like in Alan's studio. It's like one of the things I learned from Alan, yeah. maybe. No, I and agree. His, like, like when you're making music and not necessarily, it was kind of taught in the context of like improvised, like when you're yes. making like improvising music in the spot, you kind of, you have to think as a composer and not just as a performer. But also like with any music, like, you know, if I play this and it doesn't have to be like a conscious thing that you're thinking about all the time, but like, it's kind of like a skill that you learn. Like if I play this line now, is it going to add to the music? Is it going to like, is that what the music needs right now? You know, yeah. am I playing too loud? Am I playing too, like, you know, if you think about it too much, that's too much. That's just distracts you from music. But like, if you kind of consciously practice that, yeah, then you become better at it, and you be and the music and the whatever interaction you're part of becomes better. I, you know, also just like if you hang out with your friends and you're talking and you're talking all the time, it's not going to be a fun party, right? Like if you're the only one talking, you know. So like. Like, like that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that this is a really good example of what becoming leaders from being a middle of the band kind of person. You know, I'm a tr you know, trombone, accordion. We're not trumpet players. We're not up front at the band. We're not lead singers. You know, so when we sort of take on leadership roles, we're coming from where we're coming from. And it's kind of a, it makes sense to me that it uh, often seems like it's a lift everybody up kind of mentality to it you know and also i don't know about you but i think i don't always want to be the spotlight front man in a situation i want to be on the front line with the people who i trust who support me and that even happened at a recording session the other day where someone was like hey can you take this a section and i played the a section yeah. by myself and i was like Ugh. And then the next take, someone else joined me. Total isolation, you know? And I was, like, buoyed, and I played completely differently. Like, I was, like, a better trombone player all of a sudden, you know? Right. And so I think it's really interesting, and it's awesome that this way of thinking happens, like you said, it happens on the micro level, on the individual level, inside of a song, and then, and then we're open to it happening on the biggest level of, like, you know, organizing our entire community across the world, really, and like on a global level. You know, I think we've both right. we've both been involved in in that whole range of stuff, and it's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, kind of because I'm an accordionist, I can sort of be an accompanist and a soloist, and depending on the context, I um, you know find myself in different situations. So, uh, you know, we started talking about Dobrenoch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, appropriately, so uh, this weekend, I'm in Berlin right now, but uh, this weekend I'm uh, going to Belgium and France to play at two different accordion festivals with Dobrenoch. And and I am technically, I mean, like they need me for this because they don't otherwise have an accordionist <laughs> at the moment. So, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in a soloist position of some sorts. I mean, I'm not just going to play like solos all the time, right. but you know going to be featured so i gotta i gotta i gotta go practice where did, my, where did you my meet accordion. those right where did you meet those wild gentlemen i mean god those that what was it 2018 they had a couple dates in new york that they hired me for because their trombone <laughs> couldn't get in and i was just like right you know it was amazing metia the leader sent me a google drive with like 300 songs and i just went <laughs> i like listened to four of them i was like 
I can't process any of this. I'm just going to play by ear the whole time. <laughs> and, like, you were the only yeah. person who you're like, this is what's coming up. And, like, thank God you were there. It was some wild rides. Those those dudes, those yeah. dudes, they, they, they are they're really something. That's a really important they, they, band. Uh, they, they go hard. They go hard. Right. And and so yeah, you meet. What did you meet them in St. Petersburg? I met them in St. Petersburg. Uh, also, I think like in two thousand four, at least some of them. Actually, I don't think. I don't think they were at that festival, but somehow they were maybe hanging out mm-hmm. at around the time. And I have met them sort of virtually on recordings because I've had. No, I definitely met them. That I definitely met them that year. They were at least part of the. But I met you know I heard their recordings actually yeah. also from Inna who like she met them years before. Okay, so going back to your first question, when I first heard Klezmer, yeah, I don't know how I forgot this, but this is a very important part of the story, yes. and uh, you know it's relevant to this. But so in I want to say March of two thousand three. Uh huh. So before I heard that tape and before I like started playing accordion and learned Sydney's Egan and Bulgar, there was a um, festival in Riga. It was organized by this radio station. Mm-hmm. And it was like they put up a really big show of like different world music bands. And so in the fe- there was like a samba band. There was like, I don't remember what else. It was like quite a big show, you know, back when there was money for that and- when a radio station could could like put up yeah different days put up a like like an all day concert of and so among other bands it was a great Moldovan like orchestra not like Lautari but like a smaller orchestra okay. but anyway so so on that bill was Dobranoch okay sort of somewhere like in their tour in some two thousand three lineup and uh, it was the Frank London's Klezmer Brussels Stars okay nice that was like one of the headliners basically. And so I got to hang out a little bit with all of them. And, and like, Inna got to hang out with them because she, like, knew them. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. think she actually went backstage. I, I just went home. But I was pretty impressed with, you know, the Klezmer stuff. Nice. You know, so 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 I kind of saw those guys. And then, and I guess also I saw Frank and whoever was in the band, Aaron. Yeah, Susan, probably. Maybe Curtis Hassel bring on trombone. Yeah, I was also like that was the time when I, was, I wasn't playing accordion. I was playing drums in one right, of the right. bands. I was actually like in drums with the uh, the violinist, and I remember she told me she's like, "Yeah, whatever the drummer is playing, it's not very traditional." <laughs> 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 Which um, I, I was like, "Yeah, I mean, she sounds good, but I don't know." But you know, obviously now I know that it was both very traditional and also yes, uh, it was Aaron. I think I was Aaron. Yeah, Th- that was a conversation that was happening a lot back then, and if we were going to record like another hour. I would say we would go to that place. We might have to save that for another time. But, you know, how about that? You know, your first Klezmer <laughs> concert seeing these uh, bands and then now what you're about to go play with them and, you know, you're playing, right. you're playing with Frank pretty regularly. Yeah. You know, that's how it, that's how it goes. You put, your, you put the time in, things work out. doesn't happen for everybody, but it happens for a lot of us where it's like our obsession kind of puts us right into the place that, we got ourselves inspired and, you know, that inspired us to go there in the first place. It's kind of cool. Right. I I was just thinking about, like, one of the interactions I had with Frank uh, years ago at, like, Klesfest London or something. I want to say it was, like, 2008 or nine. I mean, I've met Frank before a few times. But, uh, like, I was, you know, it's like taking a workshop that mm-hmm. he was teaching or something. It was like a master class kind of thing. I remember Frank told me, he said, like, kind of to me about me, he said, like... Uh, or it says like, 
uh, a lot of talent, not enough work. <laughs> and uh, honestly, I have put some more work since then, but I, uh, it's not enough. I mean, enough to enough to be where I am right now. Listen, but... he's hiring you. I don't know. He's he probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Oh, that that that's the thing that also I kind of realized at some point. Like, if it doesn't matter if I practice or not. I mean, it does matter for the like the speed, the speed of my progress, like how fast I get to a certain point. Yeah. Like if I if if I don't practice at all, I'm still gonna learn. Yeah, it's just I'm gonna learn slowly, kind of unstructuredly. It's gonna be maybe more frustrating in some ways, but I don't know. I'm just too lazy to like actually put in the work and like sit for hours and shred. And unless I unless I'm not, that's why that's why I'm always like playing new instruments. It's because I. Like have a short attention span, I get bored. Yeah, you want to get excited, of like this, and yeah, and so oh, I got this like new string instrument. I'm gonna just like take it with me and practice. You know, oh yeah, that's why I have all these like little flutes because I can take them to like play them in the park. Yes, you know, I think that's awesome. I'm too lazy to just like practice. Like even put on the accordion. It's uh, it's heavy. I don't know. It's heavy, but but luckily, you know, after almost twenty years of playing accordion, I'm kind of at this and. You know, this is the thing they say about ten thousand hours of practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard that. I, which is like about about ten years. Okay. It's like 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 after after ten years, you kind of like that's where you sort of master. I I feel like I, I did feel that like after ten years of playing, it was like I'm at a level where I don't like I can do most of the things that I need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, now another ten years later, I'm like, I now I'm at a level where I can do most of the things. And it, it happens whether you practice or not, but it definitely like happens faster <laughs> and more efficient if you practice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Uh, well, yeah, because we started talking about Dobrenoch and then we kind of went. We keep it keeps uh, slipping off of Dobrenoch. Those are slippery guys. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, they, they've been, you know, I mean, all over the place they really lately. Have, especially lately. They really have. And, yeah. How are they doing? Are um, they okay? They're okay. They're, you know, like everybody's in shock. Basically, not just them, but like, I feel like I don't want to say the whole world is in shock, but at least like all my friends from Russia and Ukraine are definitely in various stages of shock. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not something that should be happening, you know. Let's just say uh, they've earned it. They've earned the right to be in shock. We can say, you know, I try to st- sometimes I try to stick to like incontrovertible, incontrovertible statements. That's uh, right, right. You know, it's like. Regardless of what else is going on, they've all earned the right to uh, some. There's some crazy, you know. That's intense. Yeah, yeah, no, it's intense. And so basically, you know, what the situation now is with like part of the band is now living in Germany. So it's Dobrenoch, for those of you who don't know, is the band from Saint Petersburg, Russia. And I have played with them over the years many times, uh, sort of as their touring accordionist. Sometimes I would come to Russia, but more often it's like when they would go. I mean, in the in the good years of twenty fifteen to eight nineteen or whatever it was, they they would come to Germany like twice a year, maybe something for like a tour, and you know, at in certain years that would mean that they would make more, you know, I guess, in a month. Uh, I mean, more make more in two weeks than they would make in like a few months in Russia. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. This is also crazy, you know. Like in the last the past years, they were they were having a lot of gigs in Russia, yeah, and you know, just and just anywhere. And like, why was there a need to just like spoil that and everything <laughs> for for everyone? I'm not sure. What a it's light! Like, yes, you know, you get somewhere, you're like, it. yeah, no, totally. Yeah, 
but you know they don't they don't don't give up they basically they can kind of had to like basically uh skip skip russia skip uh yeah, yeah, yeah. they had to um yeah they had to like leave russia quite urgently in september when they announced the the draft uh like the first wave of the drafts i don't know how many and they they were stuck in istanbul for a bit and then they got this um um three of them got a uh german i guess a refugee status i'm not yeah, sure what that uh, visa is called yeah. like a special special visa you know if you're persecuted by the regime which you know Basically. They would be if they go back to Russia. They like you know they some of them received the draft. It's like in their mailboxes, <sighs> so they can't really scary. go to Russia. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's um, it's really wild to think of my friends this way. You know, it's like oh, you're refugees, you know, from your home, right? Yeah, and I know. It's like a be, being in Germany. I feel like you know sometimes kind of we take the history for granted, or it's just like yeah, you know. This, I was just talking to someone about, you know, East and West Berlin and how, like, you could not leave West Berlin, like, or, you know, you, like, you had to take a closed train that wouldn't stop until you get to West Germany. Or you could not leave East Berlin, you'd get shot if you, like, climb over the wall. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, luckily now <laughs> we're living in a time where none, nothing remotely uh, like this is happening. But, you know, it's not happening in Germany, but it's definitely happening, like, you know, 12 hours east of here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like just not, you know, whatever. I know. It's not something as like we talked, you know, earlier today, someone who wants things to run well for everyone. Mm. Like if I was organizing anything, I would not you know, start unnecessary conflicts. I start unnecessary wars, yeah. Yeah, it's I mean that seems like it seems like a no-brainer, but you know, people have different opinions about stuff, I guess. Yeah, um, I don't know what you say. We'll even see if this makes it in there. And um, <laughs> it's sort of like I um, wonder whether it's our story to tell, even. But yeah, yeah, I think I think we probably want to move towards some version of wrapping up. So, so what do you have go- going on these days? Like, what are some of the things that get you out of your uh, short attention span and get you really motivated? Yeah, there are not many. Uh, there are a few there are a few i mean external deadlines get me out of uh my short attention span so that's why you know i've mentioned before i'm quite a lazy person in a way Mm -hmm. and so i i I have been for many years kind of like working in other people's projects and i do like that I i do like being an accompanist or like someone who makes helps make things happen yeah you know, and uh, I'm lucky to, you know, that other people want, want to hire me as an accompanist. And that also means that I don't have to do a lot of the work that that they are doing because <laughs> they're the soloists or the band leaders. And I have to show up and, you know, book my flights or get on the train and, you know, be there on time and play my play my accordion and, you know. Don't ask too many questions. Uh, but I think there's <laughs> depending a on the project, there's a couple things that you know. I mean, I mean, there's, 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 you know, what else? What, what? I mean, I could, I could list some of your accomplished recent accomplishments. I mean, you put out an, uh, you put out a record last year with Forspiel. You uh, right, and and like you know, you got, you got your, you're working on your Klezstronica. Uh, yeah, my uh, identity, my uh, DJ Schnee. DJ Schnee. 
which is I think is a funny name because I mean I think it's a funny name. That's why that's why I'm using it because yes. it's funny. But also, I'm not quite sure if I could really like. Are you really a DJ if you're not Ding any Js? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think it's the other way. Yeah. Do you need vinyl? No. I just like it because it rhymes. But you know, I'm not actually. I don't know. Like electronic music is kind of. It's just like a way for me to simulate playing with other people. Right. Like as in, you know, I overdub my my own playing and I pretend that you know it's other people. But yeah, so I've been I've been I've been working a little bit on that. Again, it's like when I don't have external deadlines, I can just be like I'm basically just jamming with myself and then I never really release anything. Well, that's fine. But you put but, up video I mean you post videos. Like that's not nothing. Yeah. Well, so so one of the things that I realized kind of about myself and maybe about Klezmer music, about music in general. I, don't know, I like music that is kind of like real time mm. improvised in to some extent. And so like basically, you know, the electronic music that I've been kind of doing so far was mostly more like live looping and I've done different iterations of it I have like a a looper pedal like a guitar pedal which I run through some effects and I run some instruments into it and I just like you know play some some rhythm play some bass line you know and just improvise on top and uh, recently I started um, kind of trying the opposite direction which is using Ableton Live and like being able to overdub yeah like more tracks and then do more stuff with them and kind of, and in a way I see this a little bit like, you know, when I'm conducting an orchestra, it's kind of like you have all these like different moving parts that are not exactly, I mean, in an orchestra with like actual musicians, they're more independent. Like they would, right. not yeah, but, 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 you know, and like maybe, you know, my job is just kind of mix them. And so that's, that's what I've been enjoying doing lately. Otherwise I have, some ideas of actually like recording, you know, putting out some finished projects out there of of my own solo, of my own solo, I guess, electronic klezmer. Yeah, nice. Whatever it would be. And I like have many ideas and sometimes I act upon them. But basically, (laughs) so, you know, one of the things that I think has been a very important part of my life is that I am married and share a house with cantor Sarah Meyerson. Yeah. Amazing musician and a composer, and also a multi-talented person. And so we've been, we've had different, we have different projects that we've been kind of thinking about and sometimes working on. Yep, I saw that concert when you had to, uh, I think, rush a concert to fill in at Yiddish New York. I was like, wow, this is a pretty fully formed project, right? Already. Right. Well, it's it's like a few different projects. I think that we I can see. like Sarah, Sarah wrote a bunch of really beautiful. Uh, music. So you basically wrote a whole Shabbos service mm. of like original music, which we're you know planning to record at some point. Yeah, you gotta do it. Uh, we also have a project that's called Shekedina. It's like a, uh, for the lack of a better term, it's like a, a Jewish yoga music. Also, but good. I, it's a, it's a bit more than that. It's like kind of like again, sort of. She wrote this like very nice repetitive nigunim. Mm. And then we, you know, use all the available instruments we have at home to like <laughs> arrange them. It's 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 a lot of fun. And we did so far we did two online concerts with that Great. program or two parts of online concerts. So but hopefully, you know, we'll we'll get some external deadlines or we'll get our stuff together and we will uh, actually record them. Keep an eye on for that. Yeah, I think there are there. people who are ready 
for more music from you and both of you. Right. You know, I think that you're 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 one of our power couples in the community, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, Sarah's actually busy working at a real job while I am just here <laughs> faking faking instruments. But um yeah, no, I'm I'm uh very very grateful to share house and music with her. Yeah. And also, I think one of the projects that I've been thinking about for a long time because and actually when I first heard Klezmer, I was playing drums in the rock band. Right. And I was like, oh, it's interesting, you know, like what if I could take like these tunes and make them sort of like use them in my rock band or uh-huh. something. And we actually, I think we did like the, what's it called? The Bulgar Alan Aftule. We kind of had a, we, we played that as an instrumental with my punk band. Nice. After, you know, after I went to that class fest and then I yeah. like, <laughs> uh, but basically, yeah, I've been, um, and I, I think I had one concert with my project I called Electrochord. Which is right. uh, kind of a pun on this um, was this Romanian record label called Electricord, uh-huh. uh, in the you know from like fifties and sixties and seventies and up until now it's released a lot of Romanian right. folk music. Yep, yep. So this one, this one, they call it Electrochord, and it's basically but my idea is to play klezmer tunes, at least for starters, with with non klezmer instruments. Yeah. So. Like no fiddles, no fiddles, no even no clarinet, even no trombones for now. Oh, that's okay. I forgive you. But like to see, you know, like how essential is instrumentation to klezmer? Like if you play a clarinet doina on an electric guitar, it's doable. You just have to figure out. It's how doable, to do it. and 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 it has been done. So that that's uh, and you know that that's kind of what I want. I just I just like the sound of it. Yeah, and it's time for some more rock and roll. That's for sure. Exactly, and so you know that's that's one of the things I've been working on. I don't know. It's just like somebody give me an external deadline and I'll I'll finish it. <laughs> <laughs> give July, me a grant. Th- July thirty first grants help. Yes, yeah. actually, with my band Forspill, we put out an album on Borscht Beat yeah. last year. I think it was the inaugural album of Borscht Beat, in fact, and it was the second album of the band Forspill, the same band that's basically like a very different band but also the same band that was my first band back Amazing. 20 years ago and uh yeah we're finally coming to the u.s with the, like an official or unofficial tour and we'll be playing at yitzstock this summer amazing uh and also we will very likely be playing in new york i we don't have a gig but we have a date and it is wednesday july 12th so Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. So check out Forspiel. Check out Dobrinoch if there are any recordings. But just what you know, Ilya is on Instagram posting videos of some <laughs> DJ Schnee experimentation all the time. You got to follow him to find out because otherwise you won't be able to catch up with him. But uh, yeah, man, it's always great to hang. I'm glad that we get to navigate this music business, this klezmer ridiculousness together. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. On on the podcast. All right. Well, that was my conversation with the one and only Ilya Schneeves, DJ Schnee, instigator of Klezmer Near and Far. 
And he's right. You can check out Forspiel and Midwood if you're in Brooklyn, New York, next Wednesday, July 12th, at the Flatbush Jewish Center. And that's going to be one hell of a rocking show. So I recommend you all go to it. I know a lot of you are already planning to. That's it for today. And we'll be back soon with more conversations with folks from our Yiddish world and beyond. Please sign up at patreon.com slash radiantothers and help us make this the awesome, even bigger, sustainable effort that we really want it to be. Thanks to Bela Unger once again, and thanks to all of you for listening. Be well, and good Shabbos. Shabbos.